0: Thank you for downloading the PLOD Podcasts, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants Inn Chambers. In our podcast series, we are going to discuss a range of topics affecting police officers and anyone involved in the criminal justice system. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com. Hi, I'm Laura Mez from 3D
1: Solicitors, and today I'm here with Elliot Gold, a police law barrister from Surgeons in Chambers. First of all, I'd like to say thank you to Elliot for joining us. Hello. Today we'll be discussing three High Court cases which have arisen from misconduct proceedings within the police. Today we will discuss the cases why these cases are important and then we will discuss the relevance of these cases in future misconduct proceedings. Before moving on to the cases, it is important to have an understanding of the definitions of discrimination. Elliot, please would you tell us the different discrimination definitions?
2: Well, there's direct discrimination and that's when someone is treated less favourably than another because of a protected characteristic. There's also indirect discrimination And that's when a seemingly neutral policy or practice puts a protected group at a disadvantage that can't be justified. And when someone has a disability, there are two further elements of discrimination that can be relevant. The first is discrimination arising from disability, which is when someone's treated unfavourably because of something connected with their disability, which can't be justified or a failure to make reasonable adjustments. And that's when a person in a particular position uh, doesn't ensure that persons with a disability aren't substantially disadvantaged by seemingly neutral policies or practices or buildings or the like.
1: And you mentioned protected characteristics. Could you give us a brief example of what this means?
2: Protected characteristics, those are age, disability, gender reassignment, marriage and civil partnership, pregnancy and maternity, race, religion or belief and sex and sexual orientation.
1: And today the definitions of harassment and victimisation are also important. Would you mind taking a moment to define these as well?
2: Yes, harassment is unwanted conduct that is relevant or related to a protected characteristic and which violates a person's dignity or that creates an intimidating, hostile, degrading, humiliating or offensive environment and victimisation is where a person is subjected to a detriment or treated unfairly because they have complained either about discrimination or harassment or because they've taken a step to insist in the enforcement of rights that are guaranteed by the Equality Act.
1: Thank you, Elliot. Today we'll be discussing the police misconduct proceedings. Would you take a moment to tell us the definition they must follow?
2: Well, all officers have to follow and meet the standards of professional behaviour, and those are stated in the police conduct regulations. So when one considers behaviour that might be discriminatory, and using that in the wide sense of the term to cover all the matters that we've just discussed, then the relevant standards might include authority, respect and courtesy. They might include equality and diversity, and also possibly duties and responsibilities, which might require an officer to be diligent in recognising people who might require particular assistance by reason of a protected uh, characteristic, and then providing that assistance.
1: And what standard are the police held to?
2: Well, for authority, respect and courtesy, that really addresses how a police officer behaves to another person, regardless of who they are, and really addresses behaviour really between a police officer and the immediate person with whom they're dealing. Whereas the standard to which they may be held in equality and diversity is a bit more than that. And the standard of equality and diversity that requires fair treatment and for an officer not to discriminate unlawfully really recognises that the society uh, appreciates that people with a protected characteristic might suffer disadvantage, that might be social disadvantage or economic disadvantage and that police officers may have to recognise that and behave differently and do more than they otherwise might do in order to address that. So that might mean recognising that people of a particular race might have been subjected historically to unfair treatment by the police that requires particular care and sensitivity when dealing with complaints from such persons, or it may be appreciating that women in a domestic violence situation or a domestic abuse situation might be at a particular disadvantage requiring special diligence when considering the appropriate steps that might be necessary to protect them or to investigate such matters. Or it might mean that where a victim of crime is vulnerable by reason of mental health or mental capacity, that's taken into account when deciding upon the best course of action for any given issue or how to communicate with them.
1: And with all these different definitions, what is the difference between them?
2: Well. You'll have got from what I've said already that authority and respect and courtesy really deals with the person in front of you and the way that you relate to them, a way that a police officer relates to them. Whereas equality and diversity is a bit broader than that and looks at the level of difficulty that may be suffered or encountered by persons by virtue of their being part of a group or having a protected characteristic and may require an officer to do more than just behave with authority, respect and courtesy, but really understand what type of additional assistance or support a person might need. And that's where it may overlap with the issue of duties and responsibilities That that standard, where an officer may need to be diligent in the exercise of their duties and responsibilities to do that.
1: If we can just take a moment to explain why this is significant.
2: Well, the Equality Act 2010 was enacted to reduce the inequality of treatment of people in those protected groups about which we discussed and really brought together the protections that had been contained in different pieces of legislation. And so the decisions and actions of officers will likely amount to the performance of public functions for the purposes of that Act. The result of that is that there will be a legal obligation for police officers to ensure that when they perform their functions, that they do nothing that amounts to unlawful discrimination, that they do nothing that could amount to harassment or victimisation, or that they make reasonable adjustments where that may be required. And examples of those potential situations and how to deal with them are stated in the IPCC guidelines for handling allegations of discrimination. I say the IPCC guidelines, that was the Independent Police Complaints Commission. That now, of course, has been replaced by the IOPC, the Independent Office for Police Conduct, but the guidelines were produced by the IPCC, as it then was, and have no less relevance or force for that.
1: We know the IOPC investigate and oversee complaints in the Police of England and Wales. How would a complaint following alleged discrimination be handled in the IOPC?
2: Well, there is a distinction between a complaint and a conduct matter. If it's a complaint and it's made to the chief constable, the chief constable would have to record it, consider whether it needed to be referred to the IOPC, and then depending on that, either investigate the complaint or facilitate its investigation by the director general of the IOPC. If the complaint is about something that would be liable to be referred to a misconduct meeting at the the least, and is behaviour that is aggravated by discriminatory behaviour because of a person's protective characteristic, then it must be referred to the IOPC. So, for example, if a police officer uses excess force or has behaved in a way amounting to incivility towards a member of the public, then that might amount to misconduct. But if that's then accompanied by discriminatory language, it would have to be referred to the IOPC, and the IOPC would then decide as to how it would be investigated. The level of investigation will then depend on whether the matter can be dealt with by way of local resolution, practice requiring improvement, or if it needs to be investigated as a potential conduct issue that would justify misconduct proceedings.
1: And what does this mean for the officer in question?
2: Well, it means that the officer could be subjected to a misconduct or a gross misconduct investigation. And if the complaint or the conduct matter isn't correctly assessed at the outset for recording, and or referring, then it could result in the entire investigation and any subsequent assessments being quashed or having no effect. And that's what happened in the judicial review case of Kent, where the deputy chief constable brought a judicial review against the decision of the chief constable, with his permission, of course, uh, to be able to reinvestigate a conduct matter concerning issues of discrimination that had not been correctly assessed right from the outset. And of course, if that happens, it's unhappy for everyone. It's unhappy for the complainant uh, or for any interested person, for the officers being investigated, for the force that performs the investigation and ultimately the public.
1: And if matters reach a misconduct hearing, what definition should be used there?
2: Well, that really depends on what the underlying conduct is and what the misconduct allegations are. The standard of equality and diversity states that officers should not discriminate unlawfully or unfairly. So if there's a case to answer that an officer has discriminated unlawfully, it's usually best to try and use the definitions of the Equality Act itself so far as possible. So if one looks at the case concerning the Chief Constable of Dufford Powers, who successfully applied to quash the decision of misconduct hearing panel because it hadn't followed the words of a misconduct charge that alleged harassment, That was where a police officer had engaged in unwanted conduct or unwanted conduct of a sexual nature, which had the purpose or effect of violating the dignity or creating an intimidating, hostile, degrading, humiliating or offensive environment for other officers. And note that the definition for that is that the police officer's behaviour had the purpose or effect of it. It means that the officer's behaviour can amount to harassment, even if they didn't intend for it to have that effect. It's enough for it to be felt by others, where, of course, it's reasonable for that to have been felt in all the circumstances. That's why harassment, uh, which I've just discussed, is different to direct discrimination. If a person makes improper sexual remarks to a woman, as in the Difford powers case... They could say that it's not direct discrimination because they would use such language with men and women so that there's no less favourable treatment of women. But with harassment, you don't compare the treatment against someone else. You look only at how the person being subjected to it reasonably felt, regardless as to how anyone else felt.
1: And what happened in the misconduct hearing?
2: Well, the police misconduct hearing held that a male officer's use of especially vulgar sexual language and that officer's improper touching of a female police officer was not intended to be sexual and was in fact misplaced humour and so it found that there had been gross misconduct but there had been no harassment and in particular no sexual harassment.
1: Now this case has been judicially reviewed. What happened in the High Court?
2: Well the High Court held that that finding was both irrational and perverse. And the judge said that the misconduct hearing should have focused on how the officer's conduct made the complainant or the victim feel, rather than on the officer's own intentions and belief as to why he was behaving in that way. And so intentions are important, because if behaviour is intended to have an adverse effect, then of course it's more serious. But even without that, as I've said, a person can suffer harassment as a result of such conduct, and that may amount to gross misconduct. And also important is that the High Court accepted that that adverse effect can be felt by people other than just women in the case of inappropriate sexual language. Male officers may feel that a person using inappropriate sexual language towards women, or white officers may feel that a person using racist language creates an adverse environment for them, and further, It may uh, result in members of the public considering that they can have a lack of confidence in the police and a lack of confidence in officers who may have to deal with them and their complaints about similar matters.
1: And has this approach been used in other cases?
2: Well, there have been a number of cases involving discriminatory behaviour and the seriousness of it. There's also the case of the Chief Constable of Northumbria who brought a judicial review against the Police Appeals Tribunal on reinstating an officer who'd used appalling uh, racial language and had delivered appalling racial abuse of persons working in a high street takeaway. In that case, it was said by the officer's counsel that that wasn't conscious discrimination and that it didn't amount to direct discrimination.
1: In this case, Miss Barrett submitted that her behaviour was not discrimination within the meaning of the Equality Act Section 13 Direct Discrimination. How did the High Court respond to this?
2: Well, the High Court accepted that it wasn't likely to be direct discrimination and it probably wouldn't have been unlawful direct discrimination because the conduct was of an officer who was not on duty at the time and not in the workplace at the time. So the officer was not acting as an officer performing a public function, and she wasn't working in the workplace and speaking to somebody inappropriately or unlawfully for that part of the Equality Act. She was an officer who was off duty in the same way that any other person may have spoken and said those words, which in those circumstances wouldn't breach the Equality Act. So it might not have been unlawful, it most certainly would have met the definition of harassment for the reasons that we've discussed, looked at on its own. And it is possible that it also could have met the definition of direct discrimination if she hadn't used that language with persons who are of a different race or ethnicity. But the High Court considered correctly that although this didn't amount to unlawful discrimination under the Equality Act, and notwithstanding that it was off duty, It nevertheless breached the standards of professional behaviour and merited her dismissal.
1: Elliot, please would you explain the difference between intended and unintended conduct?
2: In that case we've just mentioned, it was accepted that the officer's behaviour was unconscious discrimination, or certainly unintended, and that is it was accepted that she didn't mean or intend to behave in a way that was discriminatory. And so conscious discrimination is where someone intends to engage in discriminatory behaviour. Unconscious is when it's not intended, but where that is the effect of someone's behaviour.
1: There's the case of the Chief Constable of Avon, Somerset, and this is an interesting example of this. Would you give us the details of the case?
2: It is a very interesting case in looking at unconscious discrimination and the way in which a misconduct case is put forward. In this particular matter a police officer had joked about her partner and in joking about her partner and her partner sunbathing used a racially offensive term to describe what she would look like after having been sunbathing.
1: And what happened in this case?
2: Well, the use of that racially offensive term was held to be gross misconduct, but was not held to be discrimination. And the officer received a final written warning rather than being dismissed.
1: The Chief Constable challenged the decision by judicial review. What did the High Court decide?
2: Well, the High Court noted first that the case was not put as being intentional and conscious discrimination. So it wasn't put on the base that of this officer had deliberately told a racist joke or had deliberately sought to use racist language rather than it was an unconscious use of a grossly offensive racial term when she didn't intend to use it. And so that uh, was relevant to the severity and the seriousness of the issue. The High Court also observed that when the panel misconduct hearing panel had said that it didn't amount to direct discrimination, no one corrected them on whether it might have amounted to harassment. in the end, the High Court found that it would have amounted to harassment, but that nevertheless, because it was unconscious and because of the way that the case was put, that the decision, the misconduct hearing panel uh, arrived at, namely that it was gross misconduct and that a final written warning would be the appropriate sanction, was within the realms of decisions that were open to it.
1: And is there a case where the High Court had squashed the disciplinary outcome determined by the misconduct hearing?
2: Well, there's the case of Difford Powers about which we spoke, where not only was the actual decision on misconduct finding quashed, but the High Court said it also would have quashed the decision on outcome. There is also the case of the Chief Constable of West Midlands, where an officer described and referred to Asian officers in grossly offensive, racist terms when they weren't present. And the breach of professional standards in that was said to be that the officer's conduct created an environment in which it was acceptable for others to use and participate in racist language, abusive, inappropriate, derogatory and offensive comments.
1: And what did the misconduct hearing panel find?
2: Well, the misconduct hearing panel held that the behaviour amounted to gross misconduct and it imposed a final written warning. And it did so on the basis that the conduct wasn't premeditated that it was limited to a single episode of relatively short duration, that it occurred in circumstances where the officer was under stress due to the level of work and the absence of effective supervision, and that there was genuine remorse.
1: And what did the High Court determine?
2: Well, the High Court held that when the panel reached its decision on disciplinary outcome, It had failed properly to consider the reputational harm to the police of such conduct and the actual harm that was suffered by the officers and, in particular, BAME officers within the force, not dissimilar to the decision that was reached in dfid Powers, where the High Court held that the misconduct hearing panel had failed properly to consider what was the effect on the complainants or the victims and the wider effect on the public, As a consequence, the High Court quashed the decision on disciplinary outcome and sent it to a fresh panel for determination.
1: We've discussed several cases today. What can be drawn from these High Court cases?
2: Well, a number of points really flow from them. The first is that misconduct allegations need to set out clearly what type of discriminatory behaviour is being alleged And insofar as the standards of professional behaviour of equality and diversity refers to unlawful and unfair discrimination, it's advisable to use as closely as possible the terms within the Equality Act themselves. A misconduct hearing panel should be invited and reminded to ask itself whether an officer's behaviour amounts to what the misconduct allegations state specifically. And where the misconduct allegations state that an officer's conduct has had an adverse effect on other individuals, the panel should really focus on how that behaviour made the complainants feel, rather than on the intention of the offending officer, although it will need to take into account and make findings as to the intention of the officer in order to determine whether it was deliberate, uh, which would of course would increase the seriousness of the matter, um, or whether it wasn't. A further issue is that when assessing the severity of such behaviour, a misconduct hearing panel should consider whether the officer's behaviour is deliberate or unconscious, as we've just suggested. Deliberate or conscious behaviour will be particularly serious because the public will be unable to have confidence that such an officer can discharge their duties properly and fairly. Unconscious discrimination may have the same level of seriousness um, but not necessarily, it will depend upon all the circumstances, as to the impact on public confidence. Um, when considering the harm that then arises from that, the panel should consider the reputational harm to the force and the harm that any other persons have actually suffered. And misconduct hearing panels should take care in ascertaining what points should form its decision on the misconduct finding and what point should form its decision on the disciplinary outcome and really take great care to ascertain what are the specific points that it's found on the basis of its findings what is the severity on the basis of the severity and taking into account all the matters in the outcomes guidance what is the appropriate sanction considering the culpability the harm the aggravating factors and the mitigating factors i should perhaps add that In light of the unacceptability of discriminatory behaviour becoming more widely recognised in the collective public consciousness, it's more likely that such cases will be presented to misconduct hearing panels, and so all participants in misconduct proceedings, whether investigators or lawyers or panel members, will need to be familiar with the principles of discrimination, harassment, victimisation, all the different types of discriminatory activity and how they should be considered.
1: Thank you so much for coming today, Elliot, and explaining that all to us.
0: Thank you for downloading the PLOD Podcasts, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants Inn Chambers. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com.